Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review. Hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battles so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy... Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, podcast version 308, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. As it does not appear because we waited until the precise minute after the NFL's trade deadline here as we record this on Tuesday... November 1st, the trade deadline has come and gone, and barring any happenings in the next couple of minutes, it does not appear that the Dallas Cowboys have made a move. As a matter of fact, John Mishota reporting now that the deadline has passed, the Cowboys did not make any moves today, despite the fact that a number of teams around the NFL looked at the NFL and thought, my God, it, it, it really could be us. Why not go for it? The Cowboys apparently... Saving that dry powder for next year that they have been sitting on all frickin' season. But before we get into that, Greening Law, my friends, you might need them. Is November the month that it happens to you? That car accident, you're standing in line in the premises of a business and the fan falls off and lands on your head. You're like, what the hell was that? You might have a case is what it might be. That's why Greening Law exists. They're a personal injury law firm, and I can tell you this from experience and having worked with them. They handle all the headaches and all the crap behind the scenes, and they go to bat for you against these insurance companies truly so that you can focus on healing and renewal. And that's why when you're going through something like this, you want somebody who can lead you down a path, who can hold your hand, who can show you the right way to go. And Grinning Law does that, man. That's why if you've got any questions, if you're in an incident, all you got to do is pick up the phone, give them a call, and say, hey, here's my details. What do you think? It's easy. It's that, I mean, it literally is that easy because a consultation is free. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. So give them a call now. It's Robert Greening, Offices, Dallas, Texas. In Dallas, Texas, the Cowboys, you had an article in the morning news today that it was time for the Cowboys to make a bold move. You look at a team that is 6-2 going into the bye, and we have talked about this ad nauseum. I think that both of us kind of figured this going into the season. It has been proven true. There is not a team in the NFC that if you are the Dallas Cowboys, you fear. Obviously, you've lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, and they are undefeated. I don't think you're afraid of them or view them as exponentially better than you. There isn't the Green Bay. There isn't the Tampa Bay. The Giants are right there with you. And 
Minnesota, I don't think anybody's looking at Minnesota and is afraid of them. You could have made a move today to have done something to give you a better sense moving forward because other teams are making moves and the Cowboys once again stand pat. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they tried to do something and couldn't get something done. You know, maybe somebody's price was too high or something like that. But, um, yeah, I wrote a column in the uh, Dallas Morning News today about that. And it's just disappointing, man, because the NFC is wide open. Other teams recognize this. And what they do, Matt, they made moves to try to get there and make it happen and put themselves in the best possible light. This team has elite defense. To me, they have elite special teams. They don't have elite offense. And if something happens to Gallup or CeeDee Lamb, their passing game pretty much disappears. Teams put nine and a half in a box, stop the run, and you got a big problem. And that's why I really thought that they would go and, uh, and get some offense, especially a wide receiver, uh, you know, and try to make something happen. But apparently that did not come true. That did not come true. Brandon Cooks, you know, the deal with him is that he's guaranteed $18 million next year and has a $26.6 million cap hit that there was some thought might scare some teams away. Potentially, it was with the Cowboys, and Houston was unwilling to do anything with that. Who knows? Chase Claypool did get traded today. He was acquired by the Chicago Bears, who get another weapon for young Justin Fields. He was acquired for a second-round pick. I mean, there's a lot of moves in the NFL today. A lot of moves in the NFL today of teams that are kind of looking around saying, okay, you know, what's the deal? And, and you wonder, like you said, Jacques, did they check in on Jerry Judy, who apparently the Broncos received inquiries about Jerry Judy? Did they check in on Elijah Moore with the New York Jets, who has requested a trade from the New York Jets? Haven't seen anything, and, and we'll have Todd Archer on here in a bit, and we'll find out more information for him. But, I mean, you look at some of these deals that were going on around the NFL today. Bradley Chubb, you talk about a team that's going for it. The Miami Dolphins go out and trade for Tyreek Hill in the offseason. Now at the trade deadline, they've traded for Bradley Chubb from the Denver Broncos for a 2023 first-round pick. And you just look at all these teams that are bouncing around making moves, and, and I just don't get it, man. Like, the Vikings are a great example of this. The Vikings look at the NFC and go, why not us this year? Why couldn't we get to the Super Bowl for the first time since whenever in the 70s? And you look at the Minnesota Vikings who got some bad news with Irv Smith Jr. who suffered a high ankle sprain in their win over the Cardinals and is expected to miss multiple weeks. So what they do today, they went out and traded within the division and gave a second and a third round pick to get TJ Hawkinson from the Lions to fill the hole that they now have at tight end. Sounds like the move that somebody that's trying to compete for a championship would do. And to me, man, that's the biggest thing about the Cowboys, man. And, and I put this in the column. All right. It looks to me like based on the schedule, they're going to get to double digit wins. All right. That'll be the first time that happened since 95, 96. You realize how long ago that is, bro? Yeah. <laughs> like it's like 26, 27 years. Yeah. Um, it looks like it looks like that they'll probably make the playoffs in consecutive years for the first time since 06, 07. And so when you look at this team, you go, the NFC, there's nobody who scares you. There's no big bad wolf out there. There's no 1985 Chicago Bears out there. Y'all can do this, man. And so to know how thin you are on offense and to just kind of sit by, uh, you know, you're just like, Okay, but you, you, you missed an opportunity to, to really make yourself a, a, an even better contender. Yeah, and, and I think that that's where it's at is to me, 
And I feel like this is the hope of this. And, and honestly, and I know this is the NFL and fantasy football is different. But the reality of it is like a lot of the times in my fantasy football league, because our trade deadline is this week too, guys will look at their team and go, I think I've got a team. I might be able to win the league this year. And sometimes, and I did this last year, I traded Jalen Waddle last year. I traded Jalen Waddle last year and another one of my potential keepers so that I could acquire Tyree Kill, and I ended up playing for the championship in our league. Now, this year, I look at it and I go, because I didn't win the title, I was like, damn, man, I sure as hell wish I had Jalen Waddle right now. But I looked at my team last year, I thought, I, I might be able to win the league this year. So I'm going to go for this thing. And it's that type of aggressiveness because you never know how the year is going to play out. But if you feel like you've got a chance and you feel like pretty good you're going to get in the playoffs, playoffs is cool and all, but why don't we see if we can put something together where we've got that guy that might be able to, in the playoffs, help us a time or two. And I still would contend, I have no idea how you look at this group of wide receivers, and you pointed this out in your column. What if CeeDee Lamb gets hurt? What if CeeDee Lamb pulls a hamstring or twists his ankle or something and has to miss four games? Who the hell are they throwing it to? What if it happens to Michael Gallup? What if, uh, yeah, exactly. And we go back to what they entered the season in with, and it's obvious that Michael Gallup, shockingly, is not 100% recovered. He's slowly working back into things. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand this team. They talk the talk, and quite frankly, a lot of it now is just bullshit. It's just talk, talk, talk. Well, and it's true because there's no action, and you never do anything to back it up. And I think that's the issue. I mean, the, like I said, man, if you just look at the NFC, you have a really good team, a team that certainly can contend this year. Other people are making moves, and you just get – and that's why it'll be interesting to see what they attempted to do. But, you know, there are some players out there that could have helped you. Other teams went for it. Other teams rolled the dice and said, hey, let's see what we can do. Uh, it just would have been nice to see Dallas do that. Yeah, and they didn't. And so – you're going to move forward with what you got, and yeah, obviously they can make the case. Well, it's worked so far. We've had no – we're 6-2. and two. We're one of the top teams in the NFC, and that's how they'll spin this, and they won't be wrong with what they're talking about. But the problem is, I mean, even the Eagles go out and make the trade for A.J. Brown in the offseason. Even the Eagles go out and bring in James Bradbury and then make a trade. And, and I don't know that Robert Quinn is going to be some amazing reason why they do anything. But like you've brought up before, Jacques, maybe Robert Quinn is the guy in a playoff game who makes a play or two for you, and then that was all the trade was worth. Because the Eagles believe we're in the playoffs. Now do we get a little bit of a depth piece of a guy who's been around the league for a while who might be able to make a play for us when we need him in the playoffs? Um, think Corey Brewer, Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Great comparison. Like, that just, you know, nobody really remembers Corey Brewer. He had about four or five or six sensational minutes against the Lakers in game two when they swept that series and you never really heard about him again in the series uh in the rest of the playoffs think about Peja Stojakovic the Mother's Day Massacre he had all those threes him and Jet that day you never heard about him again in the rest of the playoffs really that's what I'm talking about so Quinn is there for a moment you know whatever he gives us in the regular season is fine but we're here so for a moment in one or two, or hopefully for the if you know the way the Eagles are thinking, three playoff games, he makes a play that helps us win a game. Right, and and, and that's the thing that I think again is the most frustrating thing about the Cowboys is how all of us can look at the NFC, all of us can look at this Cowboys team. You believe this is a really good defense, 
with an offense that could use a little bit of a boost, it didn't have to be a game changer. It, obviously, you, you wish to God, I mean, Amari Cooper has three 100-yard receiving games so far this season. The Cowboys haven't had a single receiver go over 100 yards. And, <laughs> and that'll still never, ever, ever, I don't care what they say forever, that trade will never make sense. It will never make sense. Because everything they've said about it is is their delusions and lies about, oh, well, we couldn't pay this and pay that. You could have. And then Steven all throughout camp told us they had this dry powder and they used some to get Anthony Barr, who was a great pickup. They still got a ton of dry powder, as he likes to call it, and they don't use it. And you just wonder, what are, what are you waiting for? What is it with this Dallas Cowboys franchise that consistently tells us what we want to hear, yet none of their actions prove anything of urgency. No, I think it's a, I think it's a frustration. And, you know, we'll get to see how the season plays out. Uh, but to think, you know, to me it's the thinness of the roster on the offensive side that's, that's concerning. Um, you know, you just saw Jamar Chase go down with a hip thing for four to six weeks for the Bengals, and you saw what happened to them. And they've got, they've got two other legit guys. Uh, and so, dude, it was just – it just feels like a wasted opportunity, man. And uh, I hope that they're not sitting up there smug like our team is so good. Now we got Dak back that we can sit here and make it do what it do with what we have because that's not the case. Yeah, what's going to happen is they'll play Minnesota in the second round of the, of the playoffs in the divisional round, and TJ Hawkinson will catch a touchdown pass to win the game. And we'll all go, man, sure would have been cool if the Cowboys had traded for somebody that made an impact in a playoff game like Minnesota did. And the Cowboys were like, man, we were close, you know, a play or two here or there. And, you know, that could have been us going to the Final Four. But for the 27th year in a row, we uh, have failed to get to that point. It's okay. God. It's frustrating as hell. I mean, it's just frustrating when you see, look at what San Francisco has done. And, And San Francisco wheeling and dealing for Chase McCaffrey. The Miami Dolphins, who made two trades today, one for Bradley Chubb and one for Jeff Wilson Jr. from San Francisco, the running back. And you you just see these teams that make these moves across the league, and you just scratch your head at the lack of inactivity by the Cowboys of not making it happen, of not getting it done. I I just, I I don't get it. I really don't get it. And you're not going to because it don't make no sense. It doesn't. You're correct. And I sometimes I, I I don't even know what to say. It's just it's frustrating as hell because it feels like we've seen this story before. And this is a team that loses. They'll lose to Philadelphia or Minnesota in the divisional round. And one of those teams will go to the Super Bowl. And you know what? Yeah, it could have been the Cowboys. But those teams were aggressive and made moves and the Cowboys did not. So there you have it. Welcome to the NFL trade deadline. I will say one of the cool things about the NFL in today's age is the activity that we get at the trade deadline. I mean, this did not used to happen. And this has been in recent years as younger GMs have come in, you start seeing a lot more teams making big time trades like this. I mean, we always knew like with baseball and the NBA, trade deadline is a big deal with the NFL. Remember, it used to be like maybe there'd be a couple of guys traded. You're like, yeah. I mean, nowadays, legitimate stars are getting traded at the trade deadline. I mean, big, large amounts of draft capital get swapped around, and it's a lot of fun. Well, here's what happened, man. You know, NFL has always been arrogant in their approach to the game. Well, we can't trade for this guy because we've got a scheme and a system, and it'll take us, you know, the entire offseason to get him acclimated. Poppycock, bro. 
Christian McCaffrey came over on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, played and had 18 touches in his first game. And mm. his second game, he had a full load because the game's just not that complicated. It's complicated as coaches want to make it. Or you can sit there and take the other approach, which is now there's more technology, you know, with iPads and things, and, and so it's a, it's an easier learn. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Problem, the reality is it just doesn't take as long anymore to get a, t- a player acclimated. So, hey, yeah, you can go out and make it happen. Yeah, yeah, you can, man. And, and there's just been a million of them, and we named a few of them. I thought it was interesting that Atlanta traded Calvin Ridley. I mean, keep in mind, that dude suspended for the entirety of the season, and they traded him to Jacksonville. And you never know. I mean, maybe Jacksonville's got a steal of a deal if Calvin Ridley is able to play next year. If they sign him to an extension, that becomes a second-round pick that they just traded for Calvin Ridley. So that, that's I, that, 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 that was a very, very interesting trade. The Bills made a trade. They sent Zach Moss and a sixth-round pick to the Colts in exchange for Naheem Hines, who will now become, again, you look at what the Bills have done. Just, just, And I don't know that Hines is going to be some crazy, impactful running back for them, but you're just adding little pieces here and there. You know, and, and some of these teams, like the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Eagles, whether it was throughout the course of the offseason or at the trade deadline, have just kind of added some things here and there that have made them better. Those are better teams right now. Um, now, let us not forget that they did add Jonathan Haken, Hankins. That's true, they did. run stopper. So they did add somebody. I just thought that they, sh- that they should have added somebody on offense. Um, as I just saw this tweet from Clarence Hill, this is the first time since 1973 that the Cowboys have not had a 100-yard receiver in the first eight games. <laughs> but you don't have a need. Well, Jacques, and, and to be fair, they do have James Washington, who will be healthy soon. Right, and, and they got my guy uh, Noah Brown coming back. Right, and, uh, and Jalen Tolbert, man, I mean, third-round pick, you never know. By the, by the time playoffs come around, he may be that veteran second-year player for you. No, I think, he's, I, think he's, I think this is just a redshirt year for him. Hopefully no. he'll be better next year. It's just, it's, I don't know, man. We'll see if the Cowboys, I just don't know. And, and obviously, they do this in free agency, and they have been proven correct in free agency at, at times. So maybe they will be proven correct here where Hankins ends up being kind of the Robert Quinn acquisition, and we point to that going, okay, man. You know, Michael Gallup, by the time the playoffs came around, is playing much better. James Washington got back and healthy, and the offense maintained health and was fine. Maybe that'll happen. Yeah. Good luck with all that. Bro. Well, like you say, that's a lot of hope, faith, and optimism, and that's not what you're all about. No, I can't really get down with that. And that is exactly what that is. That is a lot of hope, faith, and optimism asking of this franchise, which we tend to do from time to time with this franchise. Way too often, if you ask me. But there you have it. So we'll move forward here, and we'll move forward... Once you get that taste in your mouth, it can be hard to get it out. That's why you probably should just crack open a bag of bruised biltong. Snack on that, man, and, and you'll be like, oh, wow, okay. I no longer taste my frustrations of the Cowboys. I taste this savory, tender, South African air-dried beef that is, again, if you like beef jerky, you will absolutely love biltong. It's delicious. You like it. I like it. As I like to say, eat it. <laughs> I like to say butt strips taste delicious. Yeah, they do. Um, and here's what we're talking about. That's the part of the uh, of the meat 
of the animal that you, that you usually put the meat from, they strip it into strips, they, they uh, air it out, and it, it comes to us savory and succulent and delicious, and it doesn't get stuck in your teeth like traditional beef jerky, man, because this ain't beef jerky, this is biltong. And uh, Brew does it better than anybody, and uh, you know, bro, 230 calories in a two-ounce pouch, 30 grams of protein, I don't really know that you can do it better than that. You can't. It's impossible. And it's good. I mean, it legitimately tastes good. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Steve is such a cool guy, the guy who started Bruce Biltong. And you can find him online at BrewsBiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. Use that promo code. Make sure you're using the promo code JAM15 at checkout so you get 15% off your order. Also, of course, Freeway Tire Shop, JR. I mean, we, we can't say enough about the guy. I mean, if you are looking for a mechanic... If you're tired of dropping off your car and wondering what's going on, go to Freeway Tire Shop. You talk about peace of mind and the mechanic you can trust. It's JR and his crew at Freeway Tire Shop. The th- reason I rock with JR is you can trust him, kind of like you trust your doctor. And if you think about it, it's kind of like a doctor for your car, man. You can trust him to diagnose the issue, which, I mean, does it get any basic, more basic than that? They can trust him, man, to f- use quality parts to fix your car. Then, and I like this. Trust him to give you a fair price. And finally, man, you can trust him to stand behind his work. He does this consistently. Doesn't matter whether he's on at work or not at work. It gets done. Hey, he's uh, five minutes north of downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. Thank us later. Just make sure you roll through and say hi to JR. Check him out online if you want. Make it happen. You can request a quote, schedule an appointment even, right there on their website at freewaytireshop.com. All right, so let's roll on into the block here. And this is interesting. I'm curious... If do you, I'm trying to think, did you do, are you into the trick or treaters at all? I mean, do people come by and do the trick or treating with you? Uh, just a few, but not so many. I usually turn the lights off. Yeah, I had a thing. So <laughs> last year, man, wasn't thing, wasn't Halloween on a Sunday last year? And I believe the Cowboys played. It wouldn't surprise me, but I can't I, remember. I think that that was, let me see. I'm trying to see. Oh my God. I just Googled Halloween 2021 and it freaking brings up a movie. I mean, that's not what I'm trying to find out here, stupid Google. You know, for smart things, they sure can be dumb sometimes. All right, let's see here. Because I, I, I'm trying to remember what the deal was. Yeah, Halloween was on a Sunday last year. And I want to say that the Cowboys might have played, maybe it wasn't Sunday night, but it was Sunday evening and you and I were doing a podcast. Because last year, we didn't do anything with Halloween or trying to worry. Nope, they did. They played Sunday night football last year against Minnesota. That's what it was. And so I was watching the Cowboys game and didn't want to be interrupted with the trick-or-treaters and all that. So we didn't even try and made sure our lights were off and everything. Well, this year, with it being on a Monday, we put on our lights and we get candy and we're ready to go. We had two groups of trick-or-treaters and that was it. One was four kids and one was three kids. And what was weird about this, and I don't know if this is a thing now, but I looked out our windows And I noticed like several of our neighbors were sitting out on their porch because you could hear like a bunch of people in the street. And I'm looking out. I'm like, man, there's people all over the place. Why isn't anybody coming up to our house? And I wonder, no, we had all of our lights on. Like, I mean, our home is well lit and we had the porch light on and all the outside lights and everything. And I just kind of wonder if nowadays, if you're not sitting out and they, you know, where they see you out there and it's okay if they don't want their kids coming up and knocking on your door and stuff anymore. Jeez, I hadn't gone that far in terms of thought process, but 
who knows? Yeah, man, because, I mean, there were a lot of kids trick-or-treating in our part of the neighborhood, and I looked out the windows, and they were going up to neighbors, but the, again, the neighbors were sitting outside on their front porch, so they didn't have to open a door, and I mean, I, I was like, man, this is, this is different. Man, is, is that what we come to now? I know, I was like, I don't want to sit outside right now. You know, so I was like, look, if you can't come to the damn door to get your free candy, I'm then you don't get any. Maybe you just don't want it. That's kind of what I thought. And it all it's always interesting because and I'm sure kids have been like this for years. But one of the groups that came up to the door, one little kid was wearing. And again, keep in mind, reminded everybody, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. One little kid was dressed up like Dak Prescott. So I gave him extra candy. See, that's a good man. That's I, was, I was like, oh, Doc Prescott. And I was like, here. And I didn't give him the bad stuff. I, d- I dug to the bottom and gave, made sure he got like Reese's and a Snickers and stuff. He got quality. He did. And another group, again, only two groups. So the other group that comes up, one kid, and I'm 6'3", so when I'm standing there with the bowl, the bowl's probably like above the little kid's head. He reaches up and pulls it down. He's like, well, what are you giving out? And I just looked at him and I go, whatever you get. What kind of little little jerk ass you, what do you give That's out? what I wondered. And so guess what he got? Nothing but a handful of Twizzlers. Yeah, come on, man. That's and I was like, training, yeah, bro. you ruined yourself, kid. Enjoy chewing flavored rubber. <laughs> that's just, that's just, uh, that's just home, home, that's home training, bro. Man, I know that's what I thought. I was like, what do you care what I'm giving out? I'm going to put it in your bag. And if you don't want it, when you get home, give it to someone else, throw it away. What am I giving out? I wanted to been, I should have been like, why don't you come inside and find out? You, you know, and then, you know, that would have been a whole thing. I was like, God, I mean, calm down people. Jeez. But yeah. Trick or treating is, I don't know. It's, it, it, it was weird. And so next year we realized because nobody was going out after eight o'clock in our neighborhood anyway. So next year we're like, okay, next year it'll be on a Tuesday. So we'll just, if the weather's nice, we'll get a couple of chairs and we'll just sit out front and, you know, for two hours from six till eight o'clock, we'll just pass out candy and say hello to people. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Since apparently that's the way to do it. And, and I didn't know if that was a thing now where it's, ex, it's expected of people to not have to go all the way up to the door and ring the doorbell or knock on the door or whatever. It's kind of, <laughs> I, I thought that was odd. Dude, the world's changing. Um, how much was candy? Because I just looked at some. I'm too cheap to buy it these days. Like a pack of M&Ms is like $2.79. Yeah, we get the, the mix and match bags, you know, that have like a yeah. bunch of just like the different kinds of bite-sized stuff in them. Right, right. And you just grab a handful and give it to the kids and all that. But we had some. <laughs> we had, I don't know. I think when we bought candy last year, or I don't know how we came across these. We must have bought them on accident. One of the bags that we had gotten, these were a year old, were these like apple caramel lollipop things, and neither one of us won them. We had had them for a year and were giving those out. Like, I must have given five to each kid. I was like, here you go, here you go. <laughs> out of the seven kids now, I will say, they got crappy lollipops and Twizzlers from us, except for Dak Prescott. He got the good stuff. That's how I roll, man. It's my house. You know, you should have come back later. I feel bad. And then what's funny is the dude that lives next to us, he put out like a giant tub and he said in the neighborhood group thing, I guess there's like a Facebook neighborhood group. He had posted that he had about 500 pieces of candy in that tub and on his ring doorbell because he wasn't home. 
he caught a kid who emptied the entire tub into his bag or whatever. Wow. And so he had said in the neighborhood group, he said, I have a good shot of this kid's face. I'm going to print it out and put it up next year so I make sure he doesn't get anything. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, what did you think was going to happen when you left the tub of candy on your front porch? Uh, I mean, you know, you expect, um, you know, you expect people to have some home training. Maybe they take a couple extra pieces, but they just don't dump the bowl in their bag and abscond with it. Yeah, you would hope so. But again, it, it goes back to it. Someone always ruins it for everybody else. And that kid has ruined it for everybody else. I remember when I was a little kid going up to a house that had a, a bag, a basket of candy out that said, just take one. And it was totally empty. And I remember being like, really? I walked all the way up here for this. And that was always unfortunate, but I would, I, I, I don't know. You got to be cautious when you're doing that, but I hope everybody enjoyed your Halloween and welcome to Christmas season now as everybody was blow past Thanksgiving. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, all the stores will have their Christmas stuff out and you'll hear Christmas music on your radios and get ready for Christmas season. Weather will cool off and it'll be nice. So be looking forward to that. The other thing, and you sent this over, and a couple of these things were interesting to me. I don't know how many of you remember, and this is originally, I guess, like a little bit of an older show, but Unsolved Mysteries used to be a show that was on television, man, for, trying to remember when this was, it, it came out in the early 80s, or excuse me, the late 80s. I just looked it up. So it debuted in January of 1987. And originally, it ran for, man, what, like 15 years or whatever? And it was on, you, you remember it was on for like a decade on, on normal television, like main NBC. Right. And then it ended up on Lifetime for a couple of years and, and Spike TV. Well, it went away 10 years ago. And apparently now, Netflix has picked it up. And brand new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries began streaming about a week or two ago on Netflix. And apparently one of the cases, they are getting all kinds of new leads on an unsolved murder from 2018 because of it being on Netflix and people watching it again. Dude, I'm not even surprised, man. That's the, uh, you know, you can reach a lot of people in a short period of time with the world we live in these days. Mm -hmm. And something like that, if it's high profile, it's been a little while, memories can be jogged, or people just be, oh, yeah, I know that guy, I heard about, I mean, it's hard to get away with a crime these days, bro. Yeah, man, I mean, it is, I, with all the facial recognition, the cameras that are everywhere, and like you just talked about, I mean, you can throw up stuff and put it anywhere on Netflix. I mean, if you put something on Netflix and it goes viral or a video or something, chances are your ass is getting busted. <laughs> yeah. It's just too many people will know about it. Too many people will see about it. Too many people hear about it. And, uh, you know, everybody wants that $5,000 from crime. What is it? Tips? Crime Stoppers. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want that money. So Unsolved Mysteries, worth checking out. It's funny, too, because I don't know how many people know this, but early in 1992, Unsolved Mysteries filmed in Texas, and Matthew McConaughey, one of the first times he appeared on screen for anything, Matthew McConaughey plays a murder victim in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Does he not? Yeah, he does. And I've seen that one. And it's like, you're like, oh, my God, that is him. And it's just, it's so wild. The other thing on Netflix, we watched this last night while we were hoping to get some trick-or-treaters, was The Good Nurse on Netflix, 
which stars Eddie Redmayne, who many of you might remember won Best Actor for his portrayal of Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything, and Jessica Chastain, who last year won Best Actress the Oscar for her role as Tammy Faye in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which and both those roles are brilliant. They are the main two characters in this movie called The Good Nurse, which is based and follows very closely along the real version of the dude who was known as the good nurse killer or something like that, who killed what they believe he admitted to 29 killings and they believe he might have murdered as many as 400 people in hospitals. Yeah, I was going to say he was taking uh, elderly people and just suffocating them or, or putting stuff in their IVs. Yeah, he was putting stuff in people's IVs, insulin, and they would overload on lins- insulin and die. And he did this for like 16 years before they started to have suspicious deaths at, at this other, the Jessica Chastain character's hospital. And she started putting two and two together and whatnot. And I will say that the movie is a little slow in parts and it's a little long. But there are scenes that it just, the acting blows you away. I mean, there is a scene with Eddie Redmayne where I got, I had tears in my eyes and got chills. And I was like, my God, this is one of the best pieces of acting I've ever seen. Okay, what what was it? it I don't want to give it away because it's at the end. Ah, okay. Yeah, but it is, I mean, holy crap. And, and just, they have a couple of scenes together where, I mean, it's just like you feel like you're watching like an acting master class. I mean, you're talking about two Academy Award winning actors just going mono mono essentially. And man, the, the, the performances are fantastic, but the movie is probably about 20 to 25 minutes too long. Oh, okay. Because it, it checks in right at two hours, and they really could have made this about an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, somebody's ego get involved. That's I guess, okay. man. But there's a couple scenes, you're like, we get it. We, like, it's obvious where this is going. Let's, it's okay. It's okay to get there. It's okay. Go ahead. Let's get there. Come on. You know, that type of thing. Mm, but yeah. it's, worth, it's worth checking out, man. I'll tell you that. It's, it's on there. I also saw that they have released, and this is a movie that's getting all kinds of Oscar buzz. And it looks incredible, except you got to watch it in subtitles. <sighs> yeah, I know. That's my thing with the two. But All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, now that's a quality flick. Which, as some of you may know, was originally Burt a book. Cast. Right. And then they, re- they made a movie in it years ago. Well, it just released on Netflix last week, and it looks incredible. This a remake, or this is the old one? Well, this is this is a new one. It's a brand new okay. movie and with the brand new cast. And this is, again, I mean, the book All Quiet on the Rest in Western Front was a German book that describes, oh, yeah, the German soldiers' trauma during World War I. And so this is a new interpretation of that book. Of course, you can go all the way back. There's been a couple of film adaptations this this is one of the earliest movies that ever won an academy award for best picture back in the i think early 1930s and then of course the one that you're talking about uh, there was another one that was adapted in 1979 and now this one in 2022 and it's in german with subtitles like like all the care like they speak german throughout i haven't seen it yet but holy crap the preview and it just looks like this is going to be awesome and everything i've read is this could be a foreign language film winning the best picture Oscar again. Wow. How about that? Yeah. So that might be worth checking out my friend. 
very much might be worth checking out because this is that type of movie where kind of looks badass. Yeah, well, you know, I was all over uh, Burt Lancaster and uh, Frank Sinatra in, in the uh, in the one from the '30s or whatever that was. Burt Lancaster. Yes, it was fascinating, lovely movie. You a big fan of Burt Lancaster? <laughs> I like a little bit of his work. Yeah, I mean that, that that's dude, that's old school, man. <laughs> I'm just saying that's 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 back that's back in time a little bit. <laughs> well, well, I found it. I stumbled across the movie, and it was just uh, I mean it was a great movie. Okay. I can appreciate a lot of now everything doesn't translate when it's that old, but for whatever reason, when I saw it, it translated. Man, that is the truth. It it's there are so many Like of, I can't watch a Godfather. I tried to watch a Godfather, man. I was just like I just can't well, get it. Godfather can be a little rough. I will give you that. That's <laughs> just I tried, bro. And I was just like, yeah. There's it's it's a little slow, but yeah. Trying to think, are you are you talking about instead of you're talking about from here to eternity is what you're talking uh, about. You know what? You're right, I am. Yeah, I was like, man, I was like, I don't think Lancaster was around in in the early thirties. Yeah, see, I thought that was odd because you like World War One. That's really more of a World War Two movie. Yeah, yeah. So from here to eternity that's what I thought. From here to eternity, and it's also based right. on a book, so all and right. and that's a movie with Sinatra and Lancaster talking and leading up to the attack on Pearl Harbor and all that. Yeah. Well, y'all just disregard the last 10 minutes of conversation I've had about this. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's that's actually the movie. He won Best Actor for that, and Frank Sinatra won his Oscar for that role as Best Supporting Actor that people forget about. Oh, yeah, dog. I told you, it was a great movie. Yeah, I'm sure it was. From Here to Eternity, make sure you... But even From Here to Eternity is like from 1953, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's old as dirt now, and so I mean, even when I saw it, it was old as dirt. Man, I'm trying just, to I'm trying to think. Oh, you know what? I I could still watch. That's an old ass movie that I don't think has lost what it is. Was it? And that's Wizard of Oz from 1939. I mean, I can still get down with the Wizard. It's kind of funny now, but I can still get down with. I, it. I think it still holds up. Like even Gone with the Wind, which was always just atrociously long. And is so slow. I mean, there are so many movies from years and years ago that can, like Citizen Kane, and I get it because I've taken film classes and we've had that conversation before that's like, oh, the greatest movie ever made. I get why it was at the time. That movie sucks. I've tried to watch that about three times. I mean, it is just, it, it doesn't work in today's world with the uh, abilities and what we have for cinema now. It just doesn't work. I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> And there's a lot, no. like, you're not wrong about The Godfather. Like, to me, people go, and I remember that when I was really into acting and whatnot, and I didn't think it held up that well, like, in the late 90s. Yeah, bro. I mean, you know, technology's changed. The way they shoot movies has changed. Everything just looks so different. It just looks whack. Yeah, man, because people be like, oh, it's the best mob movie ever. And I'm like, have you seen Goodfellas? Have you seen Casino? Nowadays, like, have you seen The Departed? And I can name, like, a few other mob movies. And I get what The Godfather was, but, man, that it, some of those movies, I think you're right. If you don't see them in the time period of which they come out in, it can be really hard to go back and 40 or 50 years later enjoy it the way that it was originally enjoyed. I get that. I mean, let's be honest. It'd be like some hot chick who's 25. Is, are you going to enjoy her as much at 75? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it might, it might look a little different. You're kind of like, you know, I get it. I see what it would have been 50 years ago, and you're still enjoyable. But, man, I bet when this first came out, this is pretty awesome. 
Yeah, you know, for so real. you have that. The other thing, and this is another one, and I know a lot of people have been talking about this. Elon Musk now officially owns Twitter and has been doing all kinds of weird stuff. But one of the weird things that they threw out is apparently they are going to start charging a monthly fee for people to have that blue check mark for verification. Um, when the fee was apparently two dollars, I was like, ah, okay. Then I read that the fee was twenty dollars. I was like, bruh, I'm not paying what is it, four hundred dollars a month for that. It ain't that serious. Yeah, and and so now apparently this has just been updated. The USA Today just put this out within while we are recording this. There had been reports of a $20 monthly fee for Twitter verification. It was met with such backlash that Elon Musk has outlined a new payment structure to gain the checkmark that will offer users verification and other benefits for $8 a month. I'm not sure I want it for $8 a month. See, that's the thing. So it will no longer be free. Apparently, with this new subscription service, Twitter Blue, you would and be I have verified. Twitter Blue. Yeah, and you would and you would have to pay eight dollars a month for it. I don't know if I want it. Like I, I like Twitter Blue because it allows you to uh, edit your edit your tweets. Um, it's got a couple other things it does I like it, but I don't know that I like it that much. You know, I mean this is insane. So apparently, Elon Musk said we need to pay the bills somehow. Twitter cannot rely entirely on advertisers. How about eight bucks? I will explain the rationale in longer form before this is implemented. It is the only way to defeat the bots and trolls. Yeah, whatever, though. Says the monthly fee would also offer users priority in replies, mention and search, the ability to post long videos and audio. You'll see less ads. Okay, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't believe I'd be paying $8 a month for verification. No, because it's not that serious. If no. your name's already out there, your name's already out there at this level. Like if they <clears throat> if they wanted to do it for like a lot of places, like, okay, starting now with everybody who gets done new, okay, I might be able to get down with that. But if you're already verified, nobody's going to, I mean, not a lot of people are going to pay just for that. Yeah, man, that and, and I don't believe I, I don't think so either. I think you're going to lose a lot of people with their Twitter verification marks. And that'll be interesting to see who decides to stick them and, and keep it around. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I've always thought it's a it's a weird bit how they decide to verify some people and not others. It has nothing to do with your follower count. I mean, there's people like if you are on TV or a TV news reporter at all, you are verified like immediately. Right, right. But if you are in radio, like it's virtually impossible to get verified unless you're also doing something else. It's really odd. Yeah, I wonder how they come up with their system. I don't know. I mean, th- there are people who, you know, you, go, you can go find a TV reporter who's in, you know, ass butt Alaska with 715 followers. It's verified. Jeez. It's like, oh, they're on TV. They're a reporter. Verify them. So I don't know. It's very <laughs> strange. But it, we'll see. I Elon Musk taking over Twitter, if he's going to change this up a lot, that'll really be annoying because Twitter's my favorite social media platform, and for what we do, it works extremely well. I mean, we get most of breaking news that I get for anything is on Twitter. Yeah, just retweeted two things that said the Cowboys were deep in negotiations to acquire Brandon Cooks, but couldn't get it done. 
Interesting. So they tried to get Brandon Cooks. You know what that yep. says to me? That says to me that they liked him, which makes sense, like you've talked about. It, it, why wouldn't you want Brandon Cooks? But the reality of it also being that they were trying to negotiate the Texans to take a chunk of that massive salary of his. Yeah, probably so. So they and, didn't get it done. Yeah, and I, I would imagine we'll find out more of, about this in, in the next day or two as time goes by and people are like, whatever here and whatever this. Apparently, Brandon Cooks is pissed about it. Well, yeah, he's trying to get up out of there. The reason I liked him, and I wrote this in the column, was, you know, he's played eight years. He's had 6,000-yard seasons for four different teams. Yeah, he So can he's burn. a guy who can come in, figure out what you're doing offensively, and go. And the most impressive thing was he had that he had one of those with the Patriots who are notorious for having such a complex offense. A lot of cats can't come in there and figure it out. You're right, man. The other thing, and I wanted to bring up just a couple more things just quickly here before we get to Todd Archer. We do need to tell you about our friends at Smokey John's Barbecue. Speaking of Smokey John's Barbecue and that jam session bowl, Quentin tweeted at us, I had to recommend the jam session bowl to a colleague. He definitely approved. The picture that he got of the jam session bowl looks like what they will serve you at the pearly gates as you enter heaven. (laughs) I love it. I mean, my God, that look at that. And he obviously got sausage, and that looks like brisket. And I want to say I see some cheese and whatnot there, and maybe some mac and cheese. I mean, that just looks absolutely incredible. Bro, it's uh, – I mean, that's why it's the jam session, bowl. It's sensational. It's delicious. It's uh, gluttonous, but that's okay. Uh, two people can eat it. If you got a little kid, like I like to say under five, the three of y'all can get down there and get down. If not, the two of y'all can eat it, and there's leftovers. And if it was one person trying to devour it, you probably got three or four days of food. Man, it's the Jam Session Bowl. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. It, it, it's incredible. You're going to love it. It's not on the menu. It's only for listeners of the Jam Session podcast at Smokey John's Barbecue right there off Mockingbird in Dallas. So swing by. It's local. They've family-owned for years there at Smokey John's. And if you can't get to the physical location, fear not. You can get their rub or their barbecue sauce. You can order it online at SmokeyJohns.com. Click on Smokey's Market. They'll ship it to you wherever you happen to be with Smokey John's Barbecue. Also, of course, HFX Foundation Solutions, Aaron and his guys helping to make the podcast possible. I'll tell you, with HFX, with your foundation, as you guys know, if you're noticing cracks, sticking doors, sloped floors, that type of thing, you need to give him a call. It's 817-770-0174. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. As Jacques knows, as everybody with the home knows, do not screw around with your foundation. No, man, there's a reason why we call it a colonoscopy for your crib, man. It's to give you the peace of mind that comes with knowing everything's okay. Uh, As Matt told you, you know, sticking doors, sticking windows, cracks in the wall, all that's an indicator that something's not right. Call Aaron and his team over there at HFX. Say, hey, bro. I need to call and ask me for my crib. He'll know exactly what you're talking about. Get you set up the consultation to call. All free. That's exactly right. 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. We're going to chat with Todd Archer here in just a few minutes, but I wanted to bring this up because I'm fascinated by the Deion Sanders situation. and We talked about it quite a bit on a podcast a couple of episodes ago. Well, you got to throw another school officially into the mix now, and that is Auburn, who fired Brian Harson, who will go down as probably the worst hire in Auburn history as long as that school's been around. You know, that dude got 21 games at Auburn. 21 yeah. games. 
And he's walking away with a $15 million check, half of which is due within 30 days of his fire. Yep, $7.5 million by the end of November. And not bad. His birthday is November 1st. So <laughs> not a bad birthday present. It's very interesting. I mean, he just was never a fit. He went 9-12 and 12 in his 21 games. They just fell off a cliff, man. And that dude just did not get it. But it's interesting because Auburn is one of those schools that I would imagine would be colossally interested in Dion. And I was looking at some of the betting odds. And from my understanding, their their number one target from what I've seen reported is Lane Kiffin. And they may try to go after him and, and pull him over from Ole Miss. But that Deion Sanders and Hugh Freeze would also be on that list. And I kind of wonder, you know, it's interesting to me if you're someone like Dion and a school reaches out to another coach first, does that irritate you? Oh, now this is me thinking like he would think. Yeah. The answer would be no. It'd be like, uh, you know, he's a he's a very religious man. He believes God orchestrates all his moves and he'll so he would be like, Oh, uh, if it didn't work out for them, he'd be like, Well, God must have wanted me for me. And if it didn't work out for him, he'd be like, Well, God knows something down the road that this is not the spot for me. Um, and he's very consistent in his behavior. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, were suspicious of him when he became a, a Christian. This was, I mean, he's probably been acting like this probably more than 20 years or in that yeah, probably yeah. more than 20 years. Uh, but he's, you know, the greatest thing about Dion is his consistency, man. Like he starts literally he starts every if you call him, he, he picks up the phone. Praise the Lord. He does that all. I mean, this is just how he talks. And then he starts literally every team function with a, asking one of one of the guys to uh, to pray. Be it short, be it long, doesn't really matter. Just pray. And uh, so that's my whole way of saying that's how he. That's why he would do the things. That's why he would say the things that he says. And that's why he's not really pressed because he's uh, he's uh, you know he believes that God moves moves him and puts him where he wants to be. So he's not really you know he's not really affected by all of that. Yeah, and, and so that'll be interesting. Very curious to follow this as Auburn now throws their hat into the ring as one of those schools that you got to think is at least going to check in with Dion and see what it might take. Of course, Auburn fans, I think, by far would love to see. I think there's a lot of thought that Dion, like we talked about, is going to have success wherever he goes. And I think there's a large contingent of the Auburn fan base that would be horrified if they end up not hiring him and he goes to Georgia Tech or Colorado or wherever else that may be open and has success and they sit there and go, man, that could have been us. Yeah, I wonder. Um, yeah, I think he'd be a uh, I mean, I think he'd be a good fit anywhere because of the way he structures thing and the way he operates in, in his yeah. approach to coaching. Um, so I don't really have any any doubt that he'll be successful. And the thing about him, you know, there's some questions about him as a recruiter for, for some people. But the thing about it is he's so creative that, uh, you know, I don't really think that's an issue. The reason why Dion is successful, and this is, is it in a nutshell, probably, and this is just my opinion, of course, probably more than any other coach in college football today, is that he can relate to the parents at their level and he can relate to the kids at their level. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's a coincidence that all these rappers are in his locker room before the game or on the sidelines? He knows them all. Now, they're friends with his kids, but he knows them all. So he can speak their language. He can relate to them. He can talk to them. 
And he could do the same thing when he's talking to a kid uh, before he turns the conversation to football. And that gives him an edge that most people can't, can't compete with. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's interesting because I know that there's some hesitation. And again, this is something when Brian Harson got fired the other day on Monday, I spent my entire two-hour radio show talking about all this stuff, as you might imagine. And it was one of those things where I do think that there's some hesitation from some. And I'm not saying that this applies to the people making the hiring decisions of he's never done it at the FBS level. And I, I thought, I mean, the guy can recruit. He does everything that you would want him to do. He's a good coach. He cares about the kids. I don't know why what you've seen him do at Jackson State doesn't translate to a larger level. No, it doesn't really matter because you can look at it's not about whether he's done it at this at the next at the higher level power five or group of five. It's how does his program operate? That's why somebody like Jim Trussell could go from Youngstown State to Ohio State, not miss a beat because his program was such that it just translated you know that's why you could have uh, Lance Leopold go from mm. you know Wisconsin Whitewater I think it was to Buffalo to Kansas all different steps because his program is such that it translates so if you talk to Dion um, and you see how he coaches and you see how he structures his program and the attention to detail and all that stuff you don't really have any questions about whether um, he'll have success at the next level or not and then the other thing to throw out, and I just thought this was interesting before we get to Todd, it, I think we're all familiar. If you guys remember, a couple of years ago, the Miami Dolphins traded with the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners gave them three first-rounders for the opportunity to trade up so they could dra draft Trey Lance. Those three first-round picks that the Dolphins got in the, in the deal with the 49ers, they used one of them to move up to acquire Jalen Waddell. They used one of them to trade for Tyreek Hill, and today they used the other one to acquire Bradley Chubb. Not a bad return. <laughs> no, that's damn good. I mean, holy crap, man. You couldn't do that in the NFL draft. Like, you'd never hit like that, and they used them for proven commodities. I mean, that's, a, that's incredible. No, it's, uh, it's impressive, man. Uh, sometimes you have a streak like that where, where you're making things happen and they're falling for you. It's like playing cards. Sometimes the cards come your way, and sometimes they don't. They came the Dolphins' way, that's for sure. Let's find out if maybe sometime soon they'll come the Cowboys' way. So Todd Archer, our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, joining us here. And, you know, we were just talking about this, Todd. The Cowboys, they don't make a move technically right on deadline day, but they did make a move last week. Jonathan Hankins coming in, and we kind of talked about what that would mean. Are you surprised that a move wasn't made on deadline day for perhaps an offensive piece? To a degree, yes, I am. Uh, but but I think this, I think this is what their mindset was. Unless they were going to acquire, and look, we all know it's going to be a receiver, right? They don't they don't need a tight end. They don't need a running back. They don't theoretically you can say offensive line, but that's not going to be a blockbuster move. So it's receiver. And if they weren't going to get somebody that was leaps and bounds better than what they have, then they weren't going to do it. In other words, if there was an Amari Cooper out there that they could have traded for, I think they would have done it. But there's not an Amari Cooper out there to go get. Well, now, I thought that they, and I wrote a comment about this today, I thought they should have made a move just because, to me, they're so thin at receiver. If anything happens to Gallup or happens to CeeDee Lamb, they're just kind of cooked. And uh, that's why I thought it. Did you hear about anything that they came close to making a move? 
uh, nothing that, as of the time we're talking, is a little too early, but don't shoot the messenger on this one. They'll tell you that James Washington is going to be back soon, and he, he's a guy that will be able to help them. Uh, and, again, it wasn't going to be Chase Claypool. Like, that was not going to happen. I don't know if I would have given up a two a two for him like Chicago did. Anyway, so uh, you would or you wouldn't have? I would not have. Right. So tell me the name they should have gone gone out and got that will be better than James Washington. can't believe I just said it that way. And, <laughs> but I think that's an ele- element of how they're looking at it, that, look, they, they had high hopes for Washington when they signed him. They thought he'd be their number three receiver. Um, even if his numbers the last couple of years in Pittsburgh weren't very good, they put it more on Roethlisberger falling off the face of the earth than they did anything that was truly, you know, they, they still viewed him as a trending up player, even if that might not have been the case statistically. So Jalen Tobert, you got to have hope that your third round pick can catch a pass. But yeah, you know, and that's, so I guess I'm getting to the point of they're not, they weren't going to make a move just to make a move. And in their mind, I think if they added whatever the equivalent of a Jalen Tolbert, James Washington trade, then that was just a move for the sake of making a move. Yeah, and I think like some of the other names, you know, like Elijah Moore, who knows, did they, did, were the Jets who had said they didn't want to move on from him? I, I know Denver, apparently it's been reported they got some inquiries on Jerry Judy. Maybe the Cowboys at least kicked the tires on that. Like the Brandon Cooks thing was weird to me just because of the money. I, I don't know that right. that made a lot of sense. So. It's just, it, as Jacques said, it does feel like this is a receiver position that's then, to your point, okay, let's trust them. They were right with some of the things they said in the offseason with some of the youth on this team. Gallup, you got to think, is going to continue to grow back into what he was at some point from the ACL. But as Jacques likes to say, it's hard to operate in hope, faith, and optimism, and it feels like that's yeah. a lot of what the Cowboys are asking of right now. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but I would, I would add this. How they play does it matter who the fifth receiver is right now because or you know and i realize you're you're we're operating under the if something happens to lamb or gallup what do you do but this is a team that wants to run they want to run it with pollard and zeke they they went last week with three tight ends and no bucks on the field for like five or six straight plays on a drive so that's how you know and i asked linda wells today their tight end coach can you live in a world where this is like a tight end dominant offense and of course he says absolutely we're not just glass eaters we can go out we're athletes we're elusive we can make some plays so you know maybe you're seeing Dalton Schultz him feel better coming off of a good game against Chicago uh Gallup was much better against Chicago than he was the previous week against Detroit so I'm not trying to pump sunshine in this thing at all but I'm also like who did they miss out on like is Jerry Judy, he's not, is he better than Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb? Is he what Amari Cooper was? Hell no. No. Not even close. So that's why I go back to the beginning of mm. if they weren't going to make that big-time trade for a receiver, I don't think in their mind they thought it was necessary to add a number three guy. Uh, see, I, and I, I look hell, at- hell, Odell's back out there, so go get Odell. Yeah. <laughs> 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 now, I was only saying it more because if you have an injury one of those top two guys, you're just kind of hosed because teams will really load up the box and make those other guys try to beat them. Yeah. And, I was, and again, I was but, a little partial to Brandon Cooks even at the money because I'm trying to win. 
and he's been successful. 18, I mean, but, I think. But Jock, you're smarter than that. Don't be, don't be that guy. It's eighteen million dollars yeah. guaranteed next year. Well, if that was the case, they would have just kept Amari Cooper. Like, there were, there's no way that they were going to do that. Yeah, well, they should have. I want to be that guy today. <laughs> You're better right. than this, okay. Jock. You're better than this. <laughs> well, listen to this. Bang, bang, bang. I shot the messenger. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. So let's go back to Sunday's win and Dak Prescott. And, and I, I can't remember if it was Jerry or somebody who had said, oh, that was the best. Or maybe it was McCarthy who said best game he's had all year. And I was almost like, well, no shit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, based on what we've seen from Dak, he was really, really good. It just what did you see that was different about the offense? Because it just felt like they were clicking much better than we'd seen them at any point this season. At, at some point, we have to point out that they were playing the Bears. Who had just traded Robert Quinn, their best, yeah. you know, theoretically their best pass rusher. But again, I, they looked decisive in what they were doing, and Dak looked much more decisive in what he was doing and, and letting it rip. And the the only thing I would fall Dak on was the pick. I don't know why that was necessary. Like, and I, and I thought his answer after the game about that play was undack like you know, about I'm going to be aggressive and confident to my guys that they're going to make a play. I get all that, but there's time and score and all that stuff has to factor in there. It's 40 seconds left. It's 28-14. Let it rip after you get your eight or nine yards on the Y option to Dalton Schultz and live for another day. Like, then take your chance because then, you know, Chicago's not immediately in field goal territory. But I, I thought Dak played a very good game, obviously very accurate. Got the ball down the field to CD, to Gallup, a 30-yard completion to, to Schultz. He's not played a lot of football, so that's that's another good thing that you think of when they come back from the bye. That Dak is also trending in the right direction, uh, and obviously the thumb's feeling better clearly. But he's also getting up to game speed after playing what do we got here? Seven quarters in the first two months of the season. Well, before last, year. you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So. With the Tony Pollard thing was interesting as well, and Jacques and I talked about this after the game. He had an explosive game, but he, the Cowboys didn't really give him the ball any more than he has normally been getting. I mean, 15 touches might have been a touch or two more than what we have seen in recent weeks, but they seem to use him pretty much the way that they have used him at least this season. Yeah, and aren't they telling – like, isn't it time for everybody to start realize what they're telling us? Like, how many times do you got to be hit in the face with a skunk before you know it's a skunk. Like, this is what they think of him, right? He's not a 20-25 carry game guy, 20-25 touch game a guy. They don't believe he can be that. And I don't understand what's wrong with how they're operating their run game with these guys. Seems to be working very well. Like, I, I just get confused over this stuff. And maybe I'm just being stubborn in the defense of, of Zeke when it, when it comes to this stuff, but Nothing's broken here. Like, why why try and reinvent a wheel that doesn't need to be reinvented? And how many times do the Cowboys have to tell us by their actions of what that they think Tony Pollard is a complimentary piece? And guess what? They also think Zeke is a now a complimentary piece based on how they're using him. So th this is what they're doing. Forget the price tag and how much this guy makes, how much that guy makes. This is how they're functioning their offense with both of these guys playing a lot of football. No, I mean, I think it's working pretty well. Um, 
what were your thoughts uh, on the Michael Parsons play now that you've had a couple of days to digest it? Um, um, it, it? It is funny that, like, no one wants to – Vanderush made a hell of a play. He's getting blocked, and he, and he still gets in there and knocks the ball free. So, if he doesn't make that tackle, it might be a first down on third and forever for Chicago. But then, you know, Mike is Micah, right? I mean, it's the Detroit play from the previous week. And I don't know how great of a game he actually had against the Bears. I mean, they did run for 245 yards. Obviously not all in him. I'm not saying that. But I don't know how a lot of people on the defense can grade out well when they gave up that many rushing yards. But this is what great players do. Like, they find the moment and they and they attack him. And he ran 92 yards, according to Next Gen Stats, and got a touchdown. And I thought it was funny that Zeke, after the game, was like, well, ball security, he gets a zero, but <laughs> execution and getting in the touchdown—that's you know—that's that, a ten. So, uh, but now Micah can say he scored, and he can go to the offensive coach and say, "Put me in, coach. I'm ready. Let's go." The other part of that with the defense, it, do you see any concern with the run defense getting gashed the way they did, or is that a unique situation with a runner like Justin Fields who was able to turn some of those broken plays? You know, where you could say most other quarterbacks in the NFL probably got sacked multiple times where Justin Fields turned it into a game. I don't know how it's not a concern. And there, I understand the, what you're saying, that he can do things that some of these other quarterbacks can't do. But guess what one of the quarterbacks who can do that is Jalen Hurts. It's the guy they're going to see again. A guy that might have to play, meet in the playoffs and beat the playoffs. So uh, and Daniel Jones is a guy that can run around and, and, and do some things. Actually – ran for almost 80 yards against them when they played up in New York earlier in the year. To me, it's not it wasn't it wasn't like the run defense has only been poor against Chicago. Like they've given up at least 117 yards rushing in six of their eight games. Like it's been an issue all year. And Jerry was on the radio today talking about there are trade-offs that you have to live with da da da. That's fine if you're giving up like 105 yards a game, but he just gave him 240. Like, it's only the third time since 2000 that they've won a game when allowing that many rushing yards. And we saw what, you know, back in 2020 when they were terrible, they had two games where they actually gave up more rushing yards, which is funny to think about. Remind you how bad that defense was uh, on the ground. I think they gave up 304 to Cleveland. Imagine 304 rushing yards in an NFL game. That's just nuts. Yeah. But it has to be a concern because of San Francisco. They like to run the ball. Could be a team you play in the playoffs. Minnesota, they like to run the ball. Could be It's a team you play in a couple of weeks, and it's a team you could play in the playoffs. Green Bay, they got two pretty good running backs to be playing next week, You know that, and, and they're going to be desperate for a win for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd be concerned. I can't. I don't believe. I believe the Cowboys coaches are too, and everybody at the star is. And to me, is it a schematic thing now, more than personnel, and it's just how they're lining up with three safety base defense looks, or going a lot with their nickel defense? Like you gotta, you gotta look at it in a major way here in the pilot. So that leads to the question: Is how do you think they get it fixed? Well, Jock, you got to stay in your gaps, and you just got to do your job. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's that what we're going to hear, right? Yeah. Well, that was Coach Guy Todd. That was just trying to, you know. Uh, that's what they're going to say, right? 
I mean, it's about gap responsibility and doing your job and being a good tackler and rallying to the ball and yada, yada, yada. And as much as we hate hearing it, absolutely truth in those statements, but, like, are they going to come out and change their core beliefs defensively in, in a week that they're not even practicing? Like, they're not doing anything this week. They're off. So are they going to show up on Monday and say, fellas, here we go, whole new defensive scheme. This is how we stop the run. No. I mean, it's ultimately going to be play better. And when it comes to the run, I think that there that is something you can actually do. Whereas if, like, you're given 500 yards a game, you just don't have any players that can play if you're doing that. This one seems to be something they can fix, if not become – the best run defense in the league certainly become much better than what they've been. Um, all right. So where do you see the second half of the season leading this team? Well, all they got to do is go, hold on. What's my math here? Uh, they go five and four. They're they're They won 11 games. They're in the playoffs. Right. I mean, yeah. So it, at what point did it start flipping to, well, it's about more than the playoffs and it's about doing something. And, you know, that comes, I think, beat Green Bay, beat Minnesota, uh, you know, when you beat the Eagles in the rematch, win at Tennessee, then you start thinking about more of those things. I mean, they're in this thing, even without making the trade today. They're in this thing in this conference, in my mind. Like, Eagles are 7-0, and I, I got it, but... I saw the Cowboys get back in the game with their backup quarterback turning it over three times or three picks. So I don't think Philly's unbeatable. And it goes back. Crap, we talk about it. I almost said the S word. Uh, crap, we talk about it every week. Who scares you? Is there anybody that scares you in this conference? No. Nope. So now maybe I'm making Jock's argument of that's why they should have gone for it and traded whatever mm. to go get the best receiver available, blah, 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 blah. But I still think they're going to be in that situation. But they're still in that. Now let me finish my statement as I shoot the messenger back. Um, They can. They're still going to be in this thing by not making a trade. In my mind, like, yeah, Robert Quinn. He's a really good player. He's got one more sack than you. Okay. (laughs) He's also got three more quarterback hits than me. (laughs) Oh wow! Watch out. (laughs) Well, you're good off the edge, though. That's what everybody says. First step quickness, baby. <laughs> That's what that soda has done for you. It's giving you that first step quickness. Yep, a natural bend. <laughs> yeah. We call that gravity, usually. Gravity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be in that instance. Very true. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to make that case. I mean, I would have to agree with you. I, I don't know that. I mean, Minnesota made a trade for Hawkinson today because Irv Smith was going to be injured. I don't know that it made them better as much as just keeping their status quo. You can make the case San Francisco's better, but with the McCaffrey trade, I think that's probably yep. obvious. But are you afraid? And, and to me, it comes down to some of the quarterback play that we've seen out there. I don't know that there's a quarterback among the prominent teams. Like Rodgers and Brady are not what they once were or they don't have what they need around them. And outside of that, I don't know if there's another quarter. Like Kirk Cousins, I mean, I like right. Jalen a lot, but I don't know that you're just blown away that, whoa, there, you can't beat Jalen Hurts. And I think that that 
in the NFC at least, has a lot to do with where the Cowboys are at. Right. And, and it, yeah, Garoppolo, I mean, yeah. you know, he, he's taken his team to a Super Bowl and, and without a – and if Matthew Stafford doesn't – if Hart picks off Matthew Stafford, the Rams aren't even in the Super Bowl, so he's almost back to two Super Bowls. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, this is there for the Cowboys to – Provided they play well. Hey, wait a minute. We got another trade acquisition for the Cowboys that we've not talked about. They'll get Tyron Smith in December. Oh, There's another right. trade acquisition. That's right. Yeah. There you See? go. Come on. Come on, Jock. Yeah, right. <laughs> God, they're getting yeah, all kinds Pro of guys. Pro left tackle coming back. Kick in your, yep. your rookie left first-round pick to the left guard. All right, it's all I'm coming together, Jock. It's all coming together. I mean, that's all well and good. It just ain't helping my passing game that much. But oh, I'll buy, I buy some of that. I mean, hey, you, Todd did mention James Washington's coming. That's like another trade. Oh, we have breaking news. Do you see what it is, Todd? Uh, no, because I'm in my car. Did they cut Tristan Hill? Oh. My God, they, they did. did. God, Todd yes. nailed that. Right. Meaning yeah. Todd wasn't surprised. He expected it to happen. Yeah. I think he got cut because he sat there and told Dak that he ain't never won shit this week in the locker room. And since they were heavy at defensive linemen, I think they were like, you know what? Just for being a dumbass, you got to go. Now, Matt's sitting there with his mouth agape like, what the hell is he talking about? You want to fill him in on that story, Todd? You lost me because I was reading the stuff about Tristan Hill. Sorry. You should not be reading and driving. Um, No, I'm now in my driveway, so... Oh, of course he is, people. Wink, wink. I hope uh, you can hear it because you can't hear the engine <laughs> for the road. But uh, what did you say? It started over again. What about what's the story? No, I said uh, I said they probably cut him because he told Dak that he had one oh, shot yeah. in the locker room this week. I said, yeah, that didn't go over well. The story. Talking, yeah, yeah, going over. They won a national championship at UCF, and he was trying First. to tell everybody and tell all the players that. He's got a national title ring where yeah. I think Jaron Curse, who actually <laughs> won one at Clemson, Zeke won one, right? And they right, went. Right. Uh, yeah. Zeke won one. Part of that conversation. But yeah, there was not a lot of people rushing to Tristan's defense in that, uh, in that uh, discussion last week in the locker room. That oh, lasted hey. the entire time we were in the locker room. Oh, this was a was the, college football was, conversation. It was the Clarence Hill argument that just never stopped. Like, can we just move on? We, you've made your point. Can everybody just stop? Like, okay, agree to no, disagree. Just, move on. Next yeah, caller. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised Dak didn't come back and say, yeah, well, I was ranked number one and you never were. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What are we doing? God, I'm glad they caught him. If he believes that, hopefully he'll never get in the NFL again. What a clown. No, he well, believes that. Not, I think – that's that's not, not why he got cut. It's just but... funny. <laughs> no, I yeah. know that's it's not funny. why he got cut. I'm aware. I'm aware. Well, we, we know you're aware. So those other people who are now listening, going, "Oh wow!" <laughs> Can you imagine it. they cut him? Oh, really? You believe that they, that you won a true national champion? Yeah. Cut that guy. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah Dak went up to Jerry's office and said, uh, "Jerry, just letting you know." I mean, come on. I mean, people forget Dak was on that Mississippi State team. They were the number one team in the country. The first uh, ever college football playoff rankings. Uh, the great Michael Gelkin, if you're interested, has an explainer on Twitter why they cut Tristan Hill. I can tell y'all in two words why they cut him. Can't play. <laughs> it wasn't any good. 
<laughs> but he had that deal I thought he made with Marinelli, and they had the the handshake and everything. No, oh, the want to was there. The uh, was it? You know, was the want? Yeah, you know there? what? Uh, you know what? It really wasn't. Probably based on what I've heard over the years. No. So much for the Tristan Hill era in Dallas. Another great second round pick for the Dallas Football Cowboys over the years. Yeah, it's a good thing they didn't trade one today for somebody. That, that could one day turn into a Tristan Hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or it saying. could be a Trayvon Diggs. It could be. That, yeah, there it is, roasted. The other side. Uh, before we let you go, Arch, uh, what'd you wear for Halloween last night? <laughs> what'd you wear, Doc? Oh, you know, I win a shaft. That could Stop mean it. too many things. This is going to get cut off the show, right? You're not going to put this off. Unbelievable with you. I'm talking about Samuel L. Jackson. Me and my wife sat in the driveway. We handed out kids. Uh, My favorite costume that came by was a kid came dressed up as a lemonade stand. I thought that was creative. Nice. I like that. Cardboard box cut around it. He actually had a pitcher of lemonade taped to the the box. That was pretty good. Um, That's... And it was homemade, so another point for creativity there. So oh, very nice. Well, here's yeah. the best question, and and we're not going to do this behind your back. We're going to do this to your face. What kind oh, of candy gosh. did you? What kind of candy did you pass out so we can judge you? Uh, we had Hershey's, we had Kit Kats, we had M and M's, we had. My wife got almond joys, but those are terrible. Um, Reese's, nice. and uh, Three Musketeers. Maybe All some right, Starbursts are in there, too. See, the Archers are good people. We'll, I know which neighborhood to go to next year. Yeah, that is nice. That's quite the selection. I gave out the yeah. stuff I never wanted to keep that somehow we had, and I made sure that that went first. <laughs> well, <laughs> I made sure the Almond Joys were on the top. Like, <laughs> That's what I'm saying, yes. The first Hopefully two, you don't have an ad, an ad with Almond Joy. The first two kids got handfuls of Twizzlers, and I was like, sorry about this, but here you go. <laughs> we got to get rid of those before <laughs> yeah, we get to the new I stuff. Mean, I'm sorry, man. You should have come later it is in the funny to, It is funny to look at the – and we gave out solid candy. so But you can see the kids when they look at what you put in there in the bag or the <laughs> little pumpkin jar that they're carrying around and just see like the disappointed look in their face of like, really, that's what you're giving me? <laughs> it's Thanks. so true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it feels like the older ones are like kind of making a note like next year we're going to skip this house. <laughs> like, That'd what be are you fine by me. I mean, it's free. Whatever. All right. Todd Archer, man, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Yep. See you guys. All right. There he is. Todd Archer, of course, with a great conversation there. And, and again, Tristan Hill. I had not heard that story about the locker room. That is a little bit of inside information for everybody. Yeah, I, I, I get down. I still get down like that just a little bit here and there. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things, man. I mean, and, and obviously that's not why they cut him, but it, it's. I've always thought that was strange that UCF, because they went undefeated, claimed a national championship. Yeah, you you don't get to claim it, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is a team that would have gotten absolutely annihilated in the college football playoff. And it's unfortunate that they didn't get a chance to play in the playoff and have they a forty, uh, yeah, forty-two to nothing loss in the first round to, who you know, Alabama, whoever it would have been, because that that was the year, yeah, it was twenty fourteen or no, that what year, was that twenty seventeen? I can't remember. I'm trying to think. I don't think it wasn't the first year. I'm trying to think the year, yeah, it was the twenty seventeen season. 
That's what I thought. When they tried to claim that they had miraculously gone undefeated and were national championships because of it, which was just so freaking bizarre. I mean, to this day, especially in the way that it works nowadays, it just doesn't make any sense. No. I mean, I mean that's did. just not what it is. And the fact that they claim that as a national championship, I mean, keep in mind, this was a team that needed double overtime to knock off Memphis in their own conference championship game. You don't think that team would have gotten rolled by an actual team? Wow. Yeah, I, th- I do think so. I mean, let's just be honest. But, oh, hey, you went 13-0 and for the season and finished ranked sixth in the country. So, hey, national champion UCF. No, what's great? I'm glad Tristan Hill's off the team. But anyways, there you have it. And I hope everybody enjoyed Todd Archer and enjoyed this version of the podcast. We'll be back coming up on uh, Friday. God, what day is it? I'm like, I almost went through like the whole week, but we'll be back Friday. Another new episode looking ahead to a non-Cowboys weekend for the first time all season. And the first time I believe until I guess Thanksgiving weekend would be a non-Cowboys weekend because we'll have a Thursday later on in November. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.